I hate to wait. When I'm in the grocery store or in Target, I always look for the checkout with the shortest line. When I'm stopped at a red light, my foot inevitably starts toward the gas pedal long before the green signal flashes. And then there are airports. I hear the groans, I join with you. Airports, an unending source of frustration. First, you have to wait at the curb for a space to unload your bags. Then you wait inside at the check-in line. No sooner are you checked in than you wait interminably in the line for the security screening. Then you wait at the gate to board the plane. No wonder I'm a basket case long before the plane ever takes off. Now the gospel text for today has much to say about waiting. At the beginning of Matthew 13, Jesus is in a familiar position, teaching before a large crowd. He's standing in a boat with the people massed along the shoreline. Now this chapter is chock full of parables, including the parable of the sower, the story about seed falling on different kinds of soil that it helps to explain why the response to the good news varies so widely. Now Jesus tells another agricultural story. A landowner plants nothing but good seed in his fields. But in the dead of night, an enemy intrudes and cast bad seed among the good, weeds among the wheat. What is to be done? The owner's slaves seem to have the only sensible solution. Don't wait. Yank out the weeds now. Pull them out. Burn them. Make them go away. Now, where do you see yourself in this story? I'm not much of a gardener. Anyone here who likes to garden? Raise your hand. There are many. Um, but I can tell you, you don't have to have a green thumb to know the gardening drill. You plant your seeds, you water and fertilize them, and you must, must keep the garden weeded. Otherwise, as you know, you'll end up not with carrots or radishes or tomatoes, but instead with a plot full of noxious weeds. So when I read about what the slaves told the owner, I'm inclined to say, right on, brother. Mary Margaret was a member of the church in which I grew up. She was a white-haired lady with a sweet southern accent. But what came out of her mouth was anything but sugar. Now, it seemed to me as a kid that Mary Margaret was just about the worst Christian I could ever imagine. 
She was an unrepentant gossip. She was racist. She was nasty, it seemed, to anyone she encountered, including little kids like me. Now, anyone who directed even the slightest hint of criticism toward Mary Margaret was always met with her unvarying response, her favorite gospel passage, Judge not, lest ye be judged. Why, I wondered, did the adults put up with her? Why did they just show her the door, give her the boot, be done with her? She was clearly a weed that needed to be plucked. Surely the church would be better off without her. But there is a problem in the garden, of course, as, as Kim so well illustrated in the children's time. How can you really be sure that what is growing out of the ground is a plant and not a weed? Pastor Talitha Arnold tells the story of the time her 80-year-old grandmother, who was a master gardener, who knew what she was doing, transplanted what she thought were flowers from the garden at the rear of the house into the front yard. A few days later, Talitha saw her grandmother down on her hands and knees, sweating, frantically digging up the plants that she had just planted. She turned to Talitha in panic and said, help, I made a mistake. These are weeds, not flowers. Quick, give me a hand so we can fix all this before your mother gets home. Now, the landowner in Jesus' story wisely recognizes this dilemma. Not so fast, he tells the slaves, for they're gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Now, it turns out that the weeds in Jesus' story were not just your common garden variety weeds, no pun intended. As Talitha Arnold points out, they were bearded darnel, what is known in biblical terms as tares. In fact, the traditional name for this parable is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, bearded darnel is truly a devil weed. It has no virtues whatsoever. Its, its roots surround the good plants and divert all the water and all the nutrients and the soil. The darnel systematically starves the good plants of all that's needed to sustain life. But most importantly, bearded darnel looks just like wheat. You can't tell the difference. It's impossible to tell the difference until the darnel produces seed. And that seed, if it's ingested by a human being, can cause everything from hallucinations to death. The point is that if the slaves had gotten their way, if they'd done what they wanted to do, they inevitably would have removed good wheat along with the bad Darnell. 
The best of intentions would not have mattered one iota. Now, as I grew a little older, I came to understand that the situation with Mary Margaret was a little bit more complicated than I had realized as a child. I learned that she had lived a difficult and traumatic life, which made her anger and bitterness understandable at some level. I also saw that the people of the church responded to her gruffness with love and grace, not condemnation. I came to recognize that the church might just be the one place in Mary Margaret's life where she felt acceptance rather than rejection, mercy rather than judgment. And then I came to the hardest realization of all, that all the things about Mary Margaret that repelled me, the resentment, the prejudice, the anger, were all things that lived inside of me too, just waiting to bubble up to the surface if I let them. I could not judge her without judging myself. Well, you see, all of us, no matter how seemingly good we are or try to be, are nevertheless capable of doing bad things. It's part of the human condition. There are other words to describe it as well. Rebellion, sin. As the Apostle Paul so aptly put it, all of us, all of us, fall short of the glory of God. The reality is that we all simultaneously are a bit wheaty and a bit weedy. We're at once good and bad, reliable and irresponsible, obedient and disobedient, faithful and not so faithful. As a result, the church, this side of the kingdom's fulfillment, is necessarily a mixed bag, a community of committed disciples and skeptics, of inspired leaders and compliant spectators, all jumbled together. Separating out the good from the bad risks putting the whole enterprise in jeopardy. But the good news, the really good news, is that God is not yet through with any of us. Let me go back to my garden metaphor. Imagine, if you will, a garden where what is wheat on one day may turn into the most glorious plant on the next day. Removing the weeds would cut off all the potential for that wonderful transformation. All you can do is wait. Wait, let go, let God do God's work, trusting only that the ultimate judgment with respect to all of us rests with God and with God alone. 
Now, I wish I could say that Mary Margaret's story had a happy ending, that she woke up one day like Ebenezer Scrooge and saw the light and magically became a kind and gracious and loving person. The truth is I went off to college and my family moved away and I lost track of what happened to Mary Margaret. I could only hope that she eventually experienced in God's embrace the love that so often seemed to elude her in this life. Faith leads me to believe that she ultimately was transformed into the beautiful rose that God intended her to be all along. This parable is often cited as teaching that the role of judge belongs only to God and not to us. While I think this is true as a general matter, I don't see it as meaning that all human judgments are wrong and improper. The church must be able to exercise discipline when members stray and commit serious offenses against the church or against their fellow parishioners. As Presbyterians, we're governed by a very detailed and specific set, set of rules and procedures that deal with those matters. I'm not suggesting that we throw all of those out the window. By the same token, civil society must be able to punish those who violate the law. It's important to recognize that the context of this parable of Jesus is the ultimate judgment at the end of time following the return of Jesus. It's not a statement about the temporal judgments that we must necessarily make along the way. It should also be said that not all waiting is holy waiting. At the height of the Civil Rights Movement, Martin Luther King wrote a book called Why We Can't Wait, in which he eloquently responded to those who were telling African Americans to simply wait for a better time, to claim the basic rights that were, that were their birthright as Americans and human beings. Justice delayed is justice denied. The church must never use the certainty of God's final judgment as an excuse for passivity, as a justification for turning its back to those who are crying out in need. And make no mistake, in this parable, there is the promise that there will be a judgment in the fullness of time when the harvest is complete. The time for waiting will end. God is not going to allow the fulfilled, consummated kingdom to be marred by the presence of evil. God's infinite holiness and justice will not allow for that outcome. Now here is where I believe our Old Testament text for today is instructive. Our God, it reminds us, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It was that very God, you'll remember, 
who stuck with the children of Israel while they built and worshipped idols and bumbled and stumbled and grumbled their way to the promised land. It is that God, not some arbitrary despot, not some tin-pot dictator, who will be there at the end to judge us and the rest of the world with his limitless reserves of compassion and wisdom, who is already with us every day in the person of the Holy Spirit, to guide, mold, comfort, and inspire us. Oh, wait and see that the Lord is good. Thanks be to God. Amen.